0: I think my awakening came when I was in college, because when you go off to a university or a college, you're exposed to so many different cultures of people because they're all coming together to learn in an epicenter, per se.
1: Afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Convos. I'm your host Diego, together with my co-host Shan Lu. Shan Lu, how is your day?
2: It's, it's it's insane. Today has been really insane, and it's especially insane because we're going live now while the World Cup semi-finals is starting. So it's it's kind of a very interesting situation for me. But I feel like there's there's some connection between between that and and our and today's guest to be honest
1: so World Cup's going on it's December busiest time of the year oh Uh, uh, yeah
2: the the calendar just lost the CityFesta I just saw I was about to
1: mention that because everyone is going out again after two years this year so that's going to be exciting and that's an important part of talking about culture about our culture especially Oruyari like the day before New Year's, and that's kind of, one of the things that's known worldwide, right, are, are like that yes, Suriname yes. is known we, for. We, we've, so, we've,
2: gotten, we've gotten recognition, top 10 recognitions, multiple times for being one of the places where you we celebrate. Well, Old Year's Eve, we should call it, not New Year's Eve, but Old Year's Eve because yeah. we during so, the day. In so, the context so of culture and
1: cultivating culture, who do we have with us today?
2: So that's why I wanted, because a lot of things during the World Cup, like one of the topics right now is is the team of Morocco. And, and Morocco is now in the semifinals of the World Cup. And there are a lot of European-born and European-raised players that play for the national team of Morocco and are really proud of their, their culture, their heritage, donate all the money that they get for playing for their national team, for, for good causes, and and... Cult- and culturally, sports is also one of the ways to integrate. And our today's guest is actually has written a children's book on, on integration of culture, which is really interesting because now I'm experiencing that as well. Of course, I have children who are Surinamese, but they're also Dutch. They live in Suriname. They experience different cultures. And sometimes I get questions from my children that even I have a hard time answering. So I find it really interesting that our guest for today, Nadia, wrote a children's book on explaining different cultures, how to integrate it, and to talk with your children about cultural diversity and, and different cultures. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Nadia Khan to the social Confluence. Welcome Nadia.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you, John. And thank you, Diego.
2: Yes, Nadia. I mean, it's it's a really interesting topic. We have had several topics. The past episodes have been much more on the personal development, but also mental health kind of side, which is a really important topic for us. But a fair, another topic which came about more and more is the culturally diverse world that we live in. You are born and raised in, in the U.S. largely, right? Not
0: really. I actually came to the United States from Pakistan when I was four years old. So I could technically say I grew up here, but I still have memories of, you know, back in Pakistan of like, you know, doing things that I don't think kids here these days would be doing. Let's say climbing trees or waiting for a vendor to like, you know, bring, you know, yummy treats that you could buy from them. Or, you know, just exploring the way that, you know, kids should be exploring things. And I think that's what's missing right now with kids nowadays. And I wish they would learn more about it and, and you know, explore explore the world versus what they're exploring on their tablets or, you know, mine, Minecraft or Roblox
2: or anything of that sort. So, so if I may, Diego, I want to quickly jump into that because how much of that is generational differences and how much of that is cultural difference when it comes to climbing in trees and playing outside? So for, you, for your perception, Nadia, how much of it do you feel like it's is a, is a, is a cultural thing, a difference in culture, or how much of it is, is generational or it could even be the, 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 the place where you grew up?
0: I think it's, it's a generational thing because when I grew up in the United States, kids did spend more time outside and spending time, let's say riding bikes with your friends outside or, or playing marbles or, or, or doing things more outside. And I think it's just a more of a generational thing. And. Le- and there was less technology per se, I think, back then. And you had more time to have more interpersonal skills as a child. Let's say you'd be able to go, you know, to a playground and meet kids you've never met before. Or you wouldn't see on an ongoing basis or have a conversation with them or be able to go to a library and just sit with complete strangers and have a conversation as a child. Or, you know, do coloring or so with people that you've never seen before. Or, you know, people that are not or children that are not even in the same neighborhood as you, but at least it exposes you to, you know, other aspects and other cultures of kids that, you know, maybe one day you can be friends with, or you might have to have interaction when you're like an adult or, you know, working in corporate world or wherever you're working at per se.
1: So you just mentioned you moved to the U.S. when you were four, and you still had memories of from Pakistan. So yeah, if I look back, I I barely have memories for five years and earlier. And I think I I forgot who said this, but I think that the age between like zero and seven is called the age of imprint for, for children. So I'm curious to, to to know like how important is that like that that phase of a child's life in i guess imprinting culture and like how do those memories translate or those experiences translate in growing up has it uh, has it uh, had an effect on you like those memories
0: yeah yes it does so cuz i remember as a kid my my like let's say my mom and and other people's mothers would you know on a sunday or something they would you know oil your hair for you or so or give your brain like a little massage or so or give your whole body a massage or say so per se. Or, you know, wear glass, like bangles, like for girls, wear like little glass bangles with sparkles on it and stuff. And, you know, or wear nice little outfits that, you know, are part of your culture or like intricate shoes that are called, I guess. And they're basically something similar to like ballet slippers, like like they would have in France, but they're made with intricate designs or so. Or, even when prior to, let's say, like the celebration after Ramadan for Eid, moms or or friends or so would come together to put like henna on the hands to put intricate designs. So all those memories helps like a child to understand that, you know, these things are, are, you know, blessed and they're things to cherish and to learn more about it and and to share it with everyone. I know when I was a kid, I didn't really appreciate my mom doing putting oil in my hair because you are afraid that if you went to school other kids would make fun of you and they would basically say things like, My God, you know, I can take a piece of paper and, you know, fry an egg with all the oil on your hair. But if you look at it today, that same hair oil treatment is now like applauded because it's seen as something that, you know, helps your hair grow, makes your hair like fuller. Or it helps with, you know, de-stressing your mind if you're having mental health issues or, or not such a great day or so. It helps you to, to relax and unwind. And for a child to understand where it comes from, it makes them appreciate it. I didn't appreciate it because I I was afraid back then that you know people would laugh and not to wear bangles to to class because my classmates might think that I'm you know disrupting class or it's it's causing them to be you know not able to pay attention to things, so it kind of suppressed it when I was a kid, and i now i'm as I'm older, I've noticed that it shouldn't be and for for our generation of kids, we have to teach them that. They should appreciate what they have at home and learn more about the things that are at home and not be afraid to showcase themselves to, you know, everyone, to the world and be proud of it.
1: Very where, where interesting. Think that feeling of, I guess, shame or of being afraid of me being made fun of came from like, because now, now, of course, you've grown up and now looking back, you appreciate it. How would parents be able to, I guess, teach their children to hold on one not, second. Not be on. Afraid? Yeah.
2: What I what I really liked, Diego, on, on what you mentioned is a lot of things like we're we're in this world now where a lot of people are going kind of against each other and against each other's each other's culture, right? It's like, yeah, this is wrong about your culture and this doesn't work. And It's, that's, that's also kind of suppressing the different cultural traditions. Whereas when they explain, like what Nadia mentioned with the hair, once you get explained why you do it, because it's the reason it's a tradition is because for generations it worked. And then at a certain point you get a generation that's kind of ashamed of that tradition because of how the outside world projects to it. So Mm -hmm. I find it, I find it really interesting. Another interesting thing that you mentioned. And I had to look this up because I didn't know this. So religiously there is a very big difference between Pakistan and India. Because, that is yeah, India is, is Hinduism, and I mean most of most of the Asians or the Hindu people living in Suriname are, are from India. And then Pakistan is Islam. And like predominantly Islam. So to what extent could you tell us a little bit about how these countries, because for like an outsider, especially an outsider, if you're in Europe or in the U.S., it's kind of like, oh, it's right next to each other. It's the same or a new similar. So how come or culturally, but also religiously, there's such a big difference that such a big part of Pakistan is Islam and such a big part of, it's such a small part of India is actually Islam.
0: Well, if you look at history per se, India and Pakistan were one, it was basically one couple, all of them lived together, so there was Hinduism, there was Christianity calling me right now so they, they, they all were there was there there currently is Buddhism, but the thing is, it was broken up, if you look in history by certain outside forces, such as the United Kingdom, and it was divided without proper proper knowledge and proper voices of of the people of those countries. so think of it as a divorce. And the two parents basically divorced each other and uh, they were forced to divorce each other without proper protocols in place and proper voices to be put in. I have been to India and I have been to Pakistan and there are so many similarities in food, in the way how they treat guests and the way they dress and things of that nature. They're all the same. It's just, you know... Like I said, John Luke, it's more of a political thing than anything else. If you look at people as humans, they're all exactly the same. I know that. So my husband actually is Indian, but I'm Pakistani. So it was a very shocking thing to, to others to see that, you know, two enemies can actually, you know, come together and get married and not have turmoil per se. But yeah, it's just. That's interesting.
2: And I think you're right because there's a whole documentary is actually on Fox and Diego might have shared this one with me already, but I've forgotten about it. There are whole documentaries on, on indeed how it's one of them is called how the British filled India and Pakistan, but there are a lot of documentaries. I think I saw a Fox documentary on this once and indeed, like you mentioned, but it's for me something and we're talking about culture as well and, and heritage and there's a lot of things I really, I'm very, I didn't know about.
1: Well, one thing I want to, that I noticed when you started explaining, Nadia, is the analogy you drew and the the way you spoke is is really simplified. And I I can see from that that, Mm -hmm. you know, you you really understand and communicate with children a lot because when when you communicate with them, you need to simplify things to fundamental levels. So that's the one thing I noticed immediately. And the next thing I want to touch on on the to quickly glance over that part of India and Pakistan. Kind of, I I learned about this by a bit about this history by watching Miss Marvel with Kamala Khan, because there's also from I'm not sure if you've seen it, a superhero movie from the Marvel universe. That's a series, and her heritage basically is from I think Pakistan, and they showed a brief history of that with India. So I'm I'm curious to know like how modern culture is to is doing like callbacks to things from the past, how that can play a role in teaching children about their heritage and culture. Because I, uh, I as a third party kind of learned a bit about it through like some modern form of media.
0: I guess the I guess the way I actually learned it is from my grandmother. And because that is a generation that, you know, basically feast the displacement per se i mean there were people from that were currently in the pakistan region who had to you know leave everything behind and go off to let's say the other side of india and the people who were in india had to leave everything behind and go go to a, another land that they weren't aware of so i think that knowledge and stories would be from let's say my my grandparents so i learned it from my grandmother on how they you know had to go on trains or so to to, you know leave everything behind and go to a strange land or you know have tons of dead bodies on top of you and hoping that you don't get killed and act like you're dead so you can make it across the border to live or leaving your whole family behind and starting over it Or, you know, siblings that have been broken up for so many years. And let's say 50, 60 years later, they finally get to meet. I did see a story of a grandfather who hadn't seen his sister for about, I think, like 50 years or so because of like the divorce per se. And it was their granddaughter that basically tracked down thanks to, you know, technology her, you know, his sister per se and because of that they were able to keep their stories alive or you know through journals or books per se in that sense the the only way is is to bring stories alive and to make sure that your children learn about it in and- you know evening stories over tea or you know coffee while your kids are sitting with you you can you know give them like a rundown of what your childhood was like or what things were like between you know your if you do have siblings what it was like that way i did tell my kids about you know we used to drink this nasty like during the winter time i remember my mom used to make this like she used to take raw eggs and put it into like fat milk. And then she would make us eat that every, like, eat that with cereal on top every day. And then they would try to understand, like, why would, you know, why would, why wouldn't, why wouldn't, you know, Nana, why would she make you do that? And, you know, and basically, you know, you try to explain that, you know, these are like little home remedies and stuff that they use back in South Asia to make sure that, you know, your immune system or your body is is up to par with, you know, the coming winter, you know, season that's coming or to protect your body and, you know, to build your immunity per se. So, you know, little things like that, you can have a conversation with your kids. So they feel some, some form of a connection to back home or, you know, whatever cultures that you might have. Another way to do it would be to involve them in whatever you're cooking. You can tell them what the dishes are that you're making and, you know, have them help you to to make some of the things. I know my kid, one of my kids hates eating lentils and rice, but, you know, he gets to see the process of it and, you know, he knows how to say the words and stuff of it. But I think that's the main thing to teach a child is to to make sure that they're involved in what they're doing. And that just builds more memories for them. So that when they get older, they can remember what whenever they do have children that, you know, oh, yeah, you know, like lentils and rice is a staple in South Asia. And the reason why they eat lentils is because it has protein in it. There's not, you know, some people don't eat, you know, animals or meat per se. And to get their like necessary protein, they eat lentils or so. And rice is something that's, you know, available as a staple in in, South, let's say, Southeast Asia. And that's why they eat that, those things the way they do. The same thing with, let's say, in Puerto Rico, they have rice and beans, which is somewhat similar to what they have in South Asia. It's just, you know, made in a different way for everyone to enjoy. And that's what makes, you know, all of us as a whole one group, per se. I
2: love, I love how... And that's often the case, especially, and we have discussion in Suriname where we live, we have this discussion on what's the national food. And there is not one food that is considered a national food, which brings me back, of course, to your story. So you migrated to the US at a relatively young age and what kind of, to start off with food, but you could take other examples as well, what part of your heritage for you kept that warm feeling? Southeast Asia. What what throughout your childhood but also growing up, what are things that you re- kind of remember like, hey, this this is something I'm proud of of my heritage, which you kept when it, what whatever came your way, you decide like, no, this is always for me to work, to keep it myself. I
0: would I would always say I always loved bangles. And I always loved glass bangles because they every single one had like a unique, intricate design to it. And it was just different compared to, you know, let's say whatever design little bracelets and stuff like other little girls wore in school. Like it just it was more unique and different. And until this day I still love glass bangles. I mean, I'm not wearing it anymore at the moment, but it it it's that one thing that I actually did enjoy. I I didn't enjoy putting the henna and stuff, but also I would say the 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 different winter shawls that were there that you could wear with the indif- different embroideries or so on it as a child and even as an adult. it, it I don't know, it just makes you feel like as if you're back. And, and those are the two things I, I, I think I still cherish. I mean there's always food, but food will always be there. But it's it's I think it's it's bangles and and you know a a shawl per se.
2: Okay. That's, yeah, that's, that's interesting because those are really tiny things that people will notice, like, oh, wow, you're wearing bangles. And then, of course, you get, them yeah, it, it. It,
0: it starts a conversation with people. And, you know, they'll ask, like, oh, you know, where did you get this from? Oh, what type of material is it? Or so, I mean, or you can, you know, give, there's always a story behind it. There's a story behind the shawl. The embroidery that was done might have been done by, by someone who doesn't have a lot of money. Or they have a skill and they make these, you know, shawls to to provide for their family. So you can provide that story to, you know, a stranger or someone to, you know, to better understand where, you know, people are in perspective to the world. Not everyone in the world is is able to go to a grocery store and get whatever they want. Or not everyone is able to afford, let's say, the shawl that, you know, I might have been wearing. They might have made it, but they don't have, like, you know, the necessary monetary amount for them to you know have one for themselves so I want people to understand that there's more to the world than just where you live at and to you know expand your horizon based upon that
1: so you already mentioned you know telling stories to your children involving them in activities like cooking making stuff handcrafts that's one way to kind Mm -hmm. of translate that Not, not just knowledge but skills and appreciation to the next generation and as you grew up you know child the adolescent adult like has anything changed if you look back in in the in the way you look at culture like you already mentioned you didn't appreciate it back then when you are younger but when when did that shift happen like the, that you started to appreciate it more and kind of decided like I, I really need to cherish this and bring it to my to the younger generation
0: I think I, I think my awakening came when I was in college because when you go off to a university or a college you're exposed to so many different cultures of people because they're all coming together to learn in a an epicenter per se and you know because of all the different clubs that were in college. We had like a Middle Eastern club. We had an African club. What else did we have? We did have a Spanish club. So all these clubs came together and, you know, showcased their their culture per se or like, you know, specific dance, like, you know, what was it? Not Macarena. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, they showcased the way that they did things and you were able to learn more from that. I mean, along with that, having like different history classes, like world history or so, where you get to see how culture has changed different regions. There might have been one culture there and then thousands of years ago, and and it somehow st- or evolved into something that has changed and made it better or has evolved to include other cultures into its mix.
2: It's really interesting because, in, in a sense, of course, in- I was thinking like, okay, but what makes high school different from, from college or university, but indeed it's like when you get to that age and high school is still kind of, it's much more it's what sheltered. I mean. I think it's it's sheltered. Sheltered. Yeah. And, and indeed when you start studying, you realize like, oh, and now there's really this need to also to bring together or talk with people who have similar interests. And then the opportunity arises as well. But for me, what's also interesting is. I don't know how it was for you and your childhood, so that's a question I wanna ask is for us we have a lot of oral history as in stories are being told and from one generation to the next. A lot of these things in Suriname especially, they're not written down in books. But you mentioned I think you mentioned on your website that you're from a young age you enjoyed reading books and how did your passion from book for book start and, and how did it gradually grow to, to where you're now?
0: Okay, so I have to credit my mom. I know my mom would always, uh, other kids would go off to, let's say, Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts and, you know, ballet or so. My mom was not that type. She would take us to the library and she would make us get tons and tons of books from there or sit there and read a book. So I'd say I was exposed to books from a very young age. And the enjoyment into going into a world that is different than what you have currently, your situation, opens up so many different things for you as a child. I loved reading as a kid. I loved writing as a kid. I used to write poetry or, you know, little short stories or so as a kid. But I really wanted to be a journalist instead. But the stars didn't align instead. And I instead did IT project management instead, but I still loved writing. And I really did want to like start writing a book or so, but I finally got to do it after <laughs> four kids later, I really got to do writing and have a passion to, you know, help kids do, you know, what they can do best, which is be themselves. And children are the best at, you know, keeping their imagination alive. The creativity is dependent on imagination and it's kind of dying with kids. And I wish more and more books are created for kids to, you know, dive into and be creative beyond all this video gaming and, you know, Roblox or Minecraft worlds that many of the kids are in at the moment.
1: But wouldn't well, you say, or... I, I see that as a, another way to place your, or like realize your imagination in a, in a more vivid way. So I, I'm curious to know about you when you were reading these stories, fictional stories about, you know, what was it more like fantasy-like or more grounded? Like what kind of stories or worlds that you transform I... yourself in.
0: I used to, so the books I used to read were, I don't know, one of the authors was a very famous author, but he's, he's dead now. But Isaac Asimov, I think his name was, he was very science fiction. He was ahead of his time. He used a lot of robots and technology in it. It had a lot of like ventures into space, to planets and things of that nature. It was very much like, I forgot, what was that? There was a new show on Netflix with a robot, and they were in space. I forgot the name of it. I might remember.
1: Can't help you there. I haven't watched Netflix in a while, So I I, you know,
2: mention- I, I only know Ada the either Twist, the scientist, but I, that's not the one you mentioned. You're mentioning.
0: Oh, okay, so I I I used to read science fiction a lot more. I also used to read The Babysitters Club. I don't even know if it's still around, but it was more of like a perspective of. A girl, per se, or girls. And, you know, I gave a highlight of what life would be like, not of of other children, per se, or of other girls, per se, that maybe I didn't have in, in my current situation as a child. Those are the only two I could think of. But it was more science related. And I always did enjoy science as a kid. I used to read. My brother is also a physician. So when he was in medical school, I used to read his books just for the fun of it. But I don't
2: why know, why I it's
0: very, it was very dorky. But, you know, it was very interesting and stuff to read how things, you know, work together. And we have a beautiful body that I think all of us need to learn more about and uh, be in sync with.
1: No, it's interesting that you just mentioned that, like, because understanding uh, yourself, your uh, human psychology kind of adds to this understanding and translation of how to transfer knowledge. Like, you you mentioned journalism before. Yeah. How have these other non, I guess, storytelling fields added to your storytelling capabilities?
0: I think, I guess, I am not. I'm not that type of person who, like, there are some people, let's say, who will just watch CNN and will listen to, like, specific journalists, per se, for, for, for their outlook. I'm not that type. I'm the one who'll listen to CNN. I'll listen to Fox News. I'll listen to BBC. I will listen to Euronews. I listen to different perspectives because that's that's the only way to actually come to a concise decision, per se, of understanding how... Your actions impact everyone around the world, per se. And you can't keep yourself in a small little bubble, per se, of narrow mindedness and what you think is correct. You have to understand everyone's pros and cons to understand how you can work together with them. And if that's what's the case with different perspectives in journalism, that's what it is. That's what I've been looking into.
2: I really, I'm interested in because I quickly want to dive into the book already. So he wonders why he decided oh, no. to make a book. Which I, first, I have to ask the question: how much of it, how much of the fact that you made uh, the personality a girl is has to do with the fact that you have four boys? How much oh, did wow. it affect? Factor- she
0: <laughs> is my imaginary little girl because I I have four boys and they are. How do I put it? They're like a pack of little wolves and to have a delicate little girl in reality would not be, I don't think she, she would be a little tomboy too. So if I can try to use my creative mind and to make a character that is somewhat, you know, personifies, you know, a strong, independent little girl who is very inquisitive is what I want. Other kids understand, too, not just girls, for boys, too, that it's OK to be different and it's it's OK to ask questions and it's OK to explore because the more you explore, the more your brain is is increasing its capacity. And that's what's needed right now is 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 for creative minds to come come together and, you know, make magical things or, or innovative things per se.
2: So, and then, of course, now back to the part where you said, like, you try to get all of the perspectives in as a writer, how challenging was it for you to incorporate the concept of like, I want this book, no matter from what part of the world reads this book, to be able to relate to to the characters and the situations mentioned. So how how, how did you approach that?
0: I tried to make... The other, besides Zoe, I try to make the other characters in my book to be diverse themselves. So I have a character in there who's from, you know, Eastern Europe, from Poland. I have a character in there who's from Africa, from Nigeria. So basically Zoe has, you know, best friends that are not the same, let's say, sect or same culture as her. So she's exposed to a diverse background of other children in her class. And I want kids to understand that you too will be having something like that in your school. You won't, you won't have the same exact people like you, owned by you. And for that reason, you have to learn more about everyone else to know that this is the reality that you'll be exposed to many different cultures and you'll be exposed to many different types of people. And you have to learn how to adapt to them and learn how to respect them as you grow older.
1: How important do you think, because it's a children's book, you work with an illustrator. Like, how important do you think the illustration or how much do the illustrations add to the experience transportation, transporting them into that world? How much does that add in storytelling?
0: Quite a lot because kids are very, not only kids, us adults, we're very like, we use more of our optical sense per se. And to, as as you grow older, it's okay to have books where it's just, you know, words per se, but for younger children, they use more of their eyes to understand what the story is. Yes, they can understand the story if you're very descriptive as an author, but a picture, like they say, a picture is a thousand words and that power of that picture is with the illustrator. My illustrator was is also... A very diverse person. She was all the way from Jakarta, Indonesia. So, her, va- I had the way she had made my characters for like the first draft of it, she had made them look very, let's say, conservative because Indonesia is a very conservative country. I had to give her a vision board to show her that, you know, my characters cannot look like, you know, Little House in the Prairies. Or something from like, you know, the nineteen forties per se. So a vision board was very much needed with her. And it was an ongoing basis to to ensure that the characters look like the way that children see themselves currently and that they can relate to let's say Zoe or to Sam or to Mika in the story.
2: So so they did all have sports full on them as well. Mm-hmm. Now, but looking back at the, the the history for yourself, growing up in kind of different continents as well, what were things where you either struggled with or at a later age came to realization that it was not necessarily a culture shock, but it was really different and things that people don't really think about when they are not familiar with, with experiencing different cultures?
0: I'd say... Some people were like, some people that were in, let's say, high school or grammar school with me, they were given the opportunity to go do, let's say, you know, American things of like, you know, going to prom or homecoming or, you know, going to like a weekend camping or sit per se. I wasn't able to do those things because I guess my parents and that generation felt that the perception of those things was not seen as a good thing, they thought that it was very, it made, you know, the morality of let's say kids a little bit looser per se. And, you know, your child might get lost into the things of like, let's say drugs or or being surrounded by kids who might not be the same, you know, might be not good kids per se, or trying to like, Make you go to, you know, the wrong rabbit hole, per se. Yeah, in in that sense, made you, at that time, it was just like, you know, why aren't you making me, why aren't you letting me do this? And why can't go, why can't I go to prom and stuff? And then, you know, thinking like that, why is my culture like this? Why is it like not letting me do things like, you know, a dance or something, it's just a dance or I'm, you know, not going to come back, you know, bearing a child, per se, I think that's the notion that some parents, for that time frame or in that culture, thought would happen per se.
1: I wanna, uh, cause I just looked at the cover again of the book, and yeah, I, I can see it's very more modern. Exactly, it's, it's dressed up more modern and with jackets, hoodies. I, I see the boy, and. You especially you mentioned you described Zoe as kind of an inquisitive girl asking why 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 and curiosity is something that's very, I guess, on tap in children because they they see the world from a newborn's eye everything is like amazing and sparkly and usually they just ask why 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 yeah exactly over time as we grow up a lot of Adults kind of lose touch of that. Is there a, is for a particular reason why you decided to? I I don't want to label it as an archetype, but kind of shaped her personality into this, this curious type.
0: I guess because I have my second born is very curious. He asks tons and tons of questions. He is the person who will go onto YouTube and watch a video on, you know. Jupiter's moons or or will we ever get to Titan or things of that nature. So it it's it I basically try to include that in, you know, Zoe's character for for kids to be like, you know, it's okay to be curious. And if you're curious and, and an adult can't answer your question, there's there's a library for you. There's a book out there for you. Just don't hold off in trying to learn more about whatever your your question might be. And no question is 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 wrong and no question is stupid it just means you're you're thinking out loud and, and you're trying to find out what's out there because that's what that is what life is about is is to find out more about you know let's say yourself or or anything else around you and when you stop thinking about you know things around you 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 just become complicit uh, you know complicit and basically doing routine things as an adult like a robot per se and I really didn't want that for kids to have I wanted them to be curious and you know find out more things that they can because with curiosity brings creativity and with creativity brings innovation and yeah you never know one of these kids might might create something that you know might help us in the future.
1: Yeah, and coming back to your fascination with science fiction when you were younger, a lot of sci-fi kind of is making its way into the world. Like the, the kids that read those books read it somewhere. Exactly, it exactly. Like
0: I was watching, so my husband and I have been watching again. I don't know if you remember this show. It used to be on before. It was called Fringe. I don't know if you've heard of that.
1: Fringe? Yes. Like Fringe no that doesn't no bring
0: a- it's something like the x-files but they deal with like you know artificial intelligence they deal with dark matter it's it's more of a science fiction thing but if you watch it many of the things in there seem to be stuff that you know someone's creative mind create you know had so much creativity to make. so it's i don't think it's really dead for adults it's It's just adults who have a passion for that are still creating it. So those directors, those writers are still creating it. So what I guess what we have to do as authors currently, we have to keep that drive for children to, you know, still be creative and and come up with things that, you know, might just become the future per se.
1: The next thing I want to touch on is I think I read somewhere, was it your one of the bios? You also have an interest in filmmaking, so is how how is that creative trajectory for you going? Like, you you have the the written words, you have the illustration. Can we expect something in motion? Next uh,
0: no, not yet, not yet. But I I. I... I did work with a producer and I did work with a narrator recently to get Zoe Wonders Why on audio. So if anyone wanted to listen to her, she is available. Let's say on a car ride, you can listen with your child for 20 to 25 minutes. Zoe Wonders Why on Audible and uh, work from there. But let's see, it would be nice to have, you know, different stories or so like on PBS Kids or, or, or something of that sort that, you know, kids can watch and have a conversation later after you know a show finishes I know my kids watch one show it's called I think it's called Bluey but you know in in that they they discuss about like a little bird or a budgie or something that like dies or you know have a discussion on grief for say, you know what coping me- mechanisms are there or you know someone's not playing properly with a kid or ignoring them like you know what can you do as a child? Can you go, even if they're not your friend, what can you do? You can go up to them and, you know, have a conversation with them because you never know you might be in that situation yourself. So, let's see.
1: Well, that would be very nice to see. But I think the, also,
2: I think there's also yeah. mentioned that this is potentially part of a series. So, just just in, in retrospect. To when you started the process of of writing the book, was there already thought of saying, like, hey, I want it in the series because I want to discuss different kind of topics? Yes. Or, yeah? Yeah. There was, yes. Okay. Uh So basically, it's the first one of possibly more to come.
0: Yeah. So the next one that I, I have started writing, but if my kids give me a chance to write some more, would be to spend more time with your grandparents and to learn things from them. The grandparents hold a lot of information that, you know, their children did you know, give them the time to to discuss. But grandchildren love to be around grandparents because they spoil them. Up. And, you know, they're there to listen. And, you know, Spew your grievances to them, and and they'll listen to you. Grandparents get very really, very lonely because they live on their own; they don't have much things left to do. So. so kids are are the best to just sit there and listen. And yeah, I'm I'm hoping Zoe learned something from you know her grandparents, and she will face some obstacles and conflicts with them, but that's life. And I wanted to discuss other things that Zoe might be going through that other kids go through in life, you know. I don't know if you noticed in the picture, Zoe doesn't have one eye color if you look in her eyes. If you look at a picture of the character, you'll see she doesn't have it. All right,
1: she has brown and green eyes. Yeah, I just noticed. Yeah,
0: so she has something different. So, you know, the the concept of um, she might be some bullying or something later on in life because of it. And kids need to learn how do you keep yourself balanced and how do you not get affected by what others say? Because the concept of bullying, I felt it when I was a kid. And I, I guess when I was a kid, I was not taught proper mechanisms on how to handle it. You are basically taught to, you know, basically suppress it and just deal with it. And nowadays, kids are taught that no, you shouldn't, you have to go off to an adult and and talk about it or, you know, try to reduce the situation of what's happening or try to understand where the feelings that a specific bully might be spewing onto you, what might be transpiring them to be like that. There might be something else in their environment that is causing them to be like that, maybe their parents are not listening to them or not giving them the proper attention. Or maybe they don't really have friends and out of fear, they just, you know, get angry at people. Like, you know, maybe they would need like a friend to actually listen. That's different than they are. So let's see how things go.
2: It's a very, it's a very beautiful process. And I don't know if you spoke when I got caught off, if you spoke with Diego about it, but what was the uh, what was the inspiration that you decided like hey, not only am I interested in it, but I should pen this down as a book. I should write this concept out as a book. What was the main inspiration to start with with the first one?
0: Um, so it was my first born kid. He actually did go to school. And kids would ask him like, "Who are you? What are you?" And he didn't know anything. So He like you know I'm I'm Adam, and that's it. And they would be like, oh "My God, you're so like you're curious." certain way like why is your hair so spiky so my kid had spiky hair and his hair seems up it's straw like, and and his skin tone is a little bit different than everyone else's and they would be like right are you're different how come you're not so brown like if you're from South Asia where I'm just so like you know brown and dark and stuff and he's like I don't know and, and your hair is like golden brown color it's like what are you so you know my kid would come to me and be like you know I'm getting made fun of and stuff like, like, what did you do? Like, is this what I'm supposed to be like? So I kind of listened to his thing. And then when he went to the library, he would notice there would be no books for him. There would be all like books that were, you know, like the Hardy Boys or Percy Jackson or or something of that sort type of characters. But he didn't see himself in the characters. He couldn't really relate to it. So I thought, you know what, I need to find books I really think we need to make books that kids can relate to. And it has to be on topic, not something like, you know, talking about you know diversity of your hair and be proud of that. That's fine. There's plenty of books on that. Or, you know, being proud of your hair color or, you know, your skin tone per se. I wanted it to be more than, a little bit more deeper than that and be proud of, you know, your culture or be proud of your heritage and learn more about that per se. and. I could do that with my child to, you know, explore that. It would be great if other kids could explore it too. My eldest, Adam, said that he wants to check out. When he's older, he wants to either move to like Boston, Massachusetts, or to Tokyo, Japan. And the only he wants Tokyo, Japan, is because he wants to learn more about samurais or to learn more about ninjas or so. So you know, that inquisitive mind is what is needed for kids to learn about other people's cultures, like my kid wants to learn about Japanese cultures or through books, like from reading Percy Jackson, he's interested in Roman architecture or, or Greek mythology. Maybe, you know, other kids would be interested in that too. And the next generation of architects in, in creating architecture, that's, you know, not Lego block-like or you know, the structures that are out there right now. If you look at previous history of architecture per se, they were amazing wonders and the creativity was amazing. And I think that history brought back through, you know, the children of current time.
1: I have one final question from my aunt in the a, in a process of writing. And how to write because you just mentioned you try to do it off topic not in a direct way in a way that they can you know transport themselves into the world or kind of relate to it how do you add layers to that messaging in a in in a simplified way that adds that deeper meaning how have you developed that i guess skill or like yeah how do you add messages in an indirect way, but still hit.
0: I think that maybe if you have, like if you're writing a storyline per se and put a conflict in in your story plot, maybe put little subtle messages into it. Like, like with Zoe, she was acting up in class and she, because she didn't eat the night before because she was stressed out about whatever project she was supposed to present on. I kind of put it a layer in there that She started acting out in class or her tummy was rumbling per se. The teacher in sense gives her a note and the note is something that she has to take home. So kids can relate to, let's say the note that, hey, you know what, sometimes I do act up and I do get notes to take home. So when I'm doing these book readings, I do ask kids like, okay, you know, have you ever felt like stressed out that you didn't want to eat the night before? You know, or, you know, how did you feel when, you know things Things weren't going your way like well yeah sometimes I didn't want to eat or maybe I felt like I I wanted to eat more like how did that make you feel so little things like that put a story or whatever you're writing to get a message across that you know sometimes it's, it's it's better to talk about what your feelings are than to just you know keep it inside I did put gentle parenting in my book. I wish I'd followed gentle parenting, but I really don't. You know, her mom doesn't like yell or scream at her that she got a note from school. Her mom basically asks, What's your side of the story? This is what the teacher is saying. I wanna understand what's what transpired with your side of and your point of view of what things happen, and then come to a conclusion. Her mom didn't yell at her. Her mom basically said that, you know. Sometimes it's better for us to, you know, calm down a little and, and let everyone do what they need to, and then, you know, give your opinion or say per se. But yeah, I, a lot of that, I I think that a little, little trinkets of messages in there for, for parents to, you know, don't get mad at your child and, and try to understand where they are coming from. We all have bad days as adults, kids have them too. And we really need to understand sometimes kids don't want to do things or sometimes not go to school per se, just like us adults. Sometimes don't want to go to work.
2: So I quickly want to jump into that one as my final question as well, because like you mentioned, don't yell at your kids, but I think that also comes from a certain stress factor. I mean, as a parent, if you're stressed out and your kid doesn't act accordingly in a moment of, yeah tension for yourself, of course, it, it gets projected. So we yeah. can project it to anybody, but in, in some cases it gets proje- projected to your children. So what advice would you give, like parents that, that get to deal with these questions at a inappropriate time? So they're not at that moment ready to answer a question about culture or diversity, what what would we give at, advice and
0: I would say you should send to your kid that, you know, that's a really good question. You know, mommy or daddy doesn't really know the answer for it. I'm going to go do my research and find out for you. And, you know, I'll get back to you by whatever be like, you know what, we'll, we'll discuss this in like, what, three days time or we'll discuss it over the weekend or something. And be like, okay, you know what? Let's work together on it. Maybe we can go to the library and find something. Or how about you find something on YouTube? Maybe there's something on Netflix that you can find on it. And you know, you and I can watch something together on it. That way you have a bonding experience with your kid and your kid understands that you know what mommy or daddy or whomever the adult take caretaker doesn't know everything. And they too are still growing and, and learning. So maybe I too sh- should learn to like, you know, look around me and try to be curious and try to figure things out together yeah. per se. I sometimes do that with my child too, my, my second born. Sometimes he asks like questions about, you know, planets and what would ha- what would happen if we went to Jupiter and all these other things. And I'm just like, well, I really don't know much about it. Maybe you can search for it too. So, you know, we can see what happens that way.
1: Yeah, because we're not all knowing either. And uh, yeah, we're
0: okay. not, but, <laughs> you know but for some reason, kids think that their parents know everything. It... And sometimes you don't. And sometimes that when we yell at our kids, it might be that, you know, we didn't sleep well last night or we didn't have lunch or something. and And because of that, we're just, we don't really know how to control our emotions. And we basically have to, showcase it to our kids that like, you know, sometimes moms and dads can't control their emotions either. And that's okay. You know, as an adult, you can basically say, you know, I'm sorry if I yelled, if you did yell at your kid, say, I'm sorry, I yelled at you, mommy or daddy didn't know how to control my emotions at the moment. And I had, you know, X, Y, Z or something on my mind. But I like, I'm sorry about that. So, I mean, that teaches your child that, you know what? My mom or dad made a mistake. And they apologized for it. And that's some, it's a skill that for a child to understand as an adult, we all make mistakes. And there's a reason for us to apologize also for it and not keep everything like, you know, I'm correct. And that's, that's about it.
2: It's really interesting. I would love to continue talking. We've passed the hour mark already. So that, it? Yeah, we have to ask you to plug your book. So, for people interested and in want to know more about, so you know, what, how can they, how can they purchase the book? Where can they find the book? If they're interested, where can, where can they find more, more about it?
0: Sure. So if they wanted to purchase a book, it's available on Amazon. It the paperback hardcover ebook is available on there if along people, with
2: yes, sorry. If people search Zoe Knows Why, they will find, find Zoe, wonders me, right?
0: Zoe Wonders Why. Zoe
2: Wonders Why. Wonders Why. Sorry. So so Zoe Wonders Why. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Yeah. They'll, they'll find it there. They can also check me out on Instagram. My handle is Zoe Wonders Why. You can also check me out on my website, which is Zoe Wonders Why.com. But I'm more active on my Instagram page, and uh, they can see all the wonderful li- different libraries that I've been going to. My kids love to come along with me. They're tired of of the story per se because they've heard it so many times, but you know they love the experience of either you know, selling the book or, or or learning that you know it's like a small business to them. That they learn how to you know deal with cash, deal with people, and you know learn. A little bit of math along the way that you know this is how you're supposed to, you know, be creative and hustle per se.
1: That's really cool to hear. Too, yeah. that, that added layer of learning, not just the the book, but kind of involving them in the whole process. That's really wonderful to hear. I thank you. Yeah, is- thank you for yeah. coming to us and sharing your story, and also about sharing about your heritage and culture, and kind of for the importance of. Trans, trans, transferring this to the younger generation as well. So it doesn't get lost. But with that being said, this episode will, of course, be released on our website in a few weeks time. I think before the end of the year, we'll release the December batch of episodes. And if you haven't already, if you have kids, check out uh, Nadia's book. So we wonders why. Sean, look, any final thoughts before he closes up?
2: Yes, Nadia. We want to thank you again for coming on to Social Confos. It was a pleasure having you. And we love to learn more about the next segment, the next book, which will be about Zoe and our grandparents. We want to thank you for being our guest. We want to thank everybody who tuned in. As always, we will be back here next week. See you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye, Hans.